Good morning. So, if you're a little bit confused, I am not Pastor Scott, uh, but Pastor Scott is not on vacation, neither is he sick, but he is in the back right now because we're going to be having a baptism service this morning, so he will be coming out for that momentarily. So, before then, we'd like to say welcome. Thank you all for joining us today. It is good to be back, and got a couple of announcements for this morning. First off, we are uh, having a baptism this morning. We're also having a baptism class that we're going to have a churchwide baptism on uh, Pentecost Sunday at the beginning of June, and we're doing that for both the kids and the adults. And so if you'd like to do that, we're having a uh, short baptism class after the service today and for a couple of weeks uh, following this week to get us prepared to do that. So if you would like to join us, you may. Um, the kids will be meeting upstairs in the youth room, the adults will be meeting in the conference room, and we'll meet for about 20 to 30 minutes uh, so we can still get to lunch before we get too terribly hungry. A couple other announcements. Uh, just as a reminder, the Easter offering that we had this year is going 100% to uh, a, uh, the Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary in the Ukraine who's been providing relief services for some people who have been displaced, for folks who are struggling to find food for, for folks that are just everything that's happening in the Ukraine. Um, they're, they're providing a lot of relief effort for that. So that's 100% of our Easter offering went to that this year. Uh, lastly, um, we will be having what is called the family camp out uh, coming up uh, May 13th and 14th. That will be on the north side of Lake Ray Roberts. Uh, if you are consider yourself single, please join us. If you consider yourself too old to go camping, please join us anyway. Camping is a great experience. Uh, if you are a person who thinks that staying outdoors is a little too much for you, uh, you can come out on Saturday and just hang out with us by the lake, and we're just going to have some fun, some fellowship, and do a lot of stuff together. And now I'd like to invite Steve to come and open us up with the invocation. Good morning. Let's bow our heads. Lord, as we come to worship you this morning, let us linger just a little bit longer at your empty tomb. Because I don't think Easter is quite done with us yet. Easter for us isn't just an annual ritual. It's a revelation. It's a season of new beginnings and a place to start over. Easter can be very personal if we let it. It's like that angel at the tomb is telling each of us, I know you're looking for Jesus. Come and see. Let's do that. Then let's let, let the world see a little bit of you in us, as unworthy as we may be. Bless our service today. Bless this, our joyful noise of our choir. Bless our communion and offerings. And bless Pastor Scott's message. And Lord, thank you for your son to walk out of that tomb into our lives, our hearts, and our souls. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You know, Jesus commands us to go into the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. This morning, we have a young man who's come to faith in Christ, and he wants to make that public testimony to you here this morning. And uh, we're going to do that through baptism. Jonathan, have you come to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Yes. All right, Jonathan, because of your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, 
I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's stand and sing our call to worship together. This is a wonderful song inviting the presence of the Lord into our place called Open Up the Heavens. We've waited for this day. We're gathered in your name, calling out to Scripture reading for this morning 
comes from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus has been talking about all the different things that he is coming to show us. It's not that the, the law was too strict. It's that our hearts needed to be closer, more closely aligned with God. Please read these words with me about storing up our treasure not here on earth, but our treasures in heaven. Are we in Matthew or Mark? Matthew. So pull open your Bibles and turn to page six, four, uh, uh, 684, no, 685, if you're using the Pew Bibles, and we're going to read Matthew 6, uh, beginning in verse 19. And if you're not able to get there, listen to the words as they are read. Storing up your treasures in heaven, beginning in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. May God bless the reading of his word. seated. I love our new organist. He's awesome, isn't he? As we go to the Lord in our prayers, uh, Larry Ingram is home, and that's a blessing. Keep him in your prayers, though, as he continues his recovery. Joan Williams' husband is home on hospice. Let's keep him in our prayers. And then those in our senior living facilities are Flo Smith, Winona Anderson, Lorraine Bellringer, and Tony Myrick. And then our homebound members are Dudley Perry, Cindy Bellmeyer, and Bill Guzzi. Uh, let me mention this morning also we have, you know, Kyle Henderson. Most of you know Kyle. He will be leaving this week for the military. And so we'll be adding him to the list. And if you'd like to stay after the service for just a few minutes, I thought we'd just pray uh, over Kyle uh, for his safety because it's, it's a dangerous world out there. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but it is. In fact, uh, one of the people I, we pray for, his name is Devin Guzman. That's my nephew, and they just sent him to Poland. So it's a, it's a crazy world out there, as you well know. So we're going to keep our young men and our women in our prayers. And Kyle, you'll be added to our list. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning. You are compassionate, you're gracious, you're slow to anger, and you are abounding in love. And we're humbled by the salvation you so freely give us. We know that Christ has done all the work that's necessary to save us. His death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, that is sufficient to save all of us. Our finite minds, Father, just cannot fathom the infinite riches of your love and grace. And Father, we do want to pray for those who need your healing touch 
in such a special way. You know their need. You know their situation. And our prayer is, Father, that you, you the great physician, would work through doctors and other means to bring healing and health. Father, we pray for the men and women who serve in our military. We pray for Omar Silva, Sean Carnes, Colin Graves, Adam Mauricio, Tyler McCarty Cogis, Joshua Davis, Nathan Hayes, Colby Hayes, Devin Guzman, Matilda Pritchett, Jason Maxey, and Kyle Henderson. And Father, we pray for the men and women who keep our community safe, our police officers and firefighters and other first responders. We pray for our students and faculty and administrators as they go back to school tomorrow. We thank you, Father, for our teachers, administrators, and others who serve in that important field of education. Father, we pray for our nation, and we are some difficult times, and we pray that you'll help our nation bring, bring about a sense of unity and restore civility and giving our leaders more wisdom in how to lead. Father, we pray for the people of Ukraine. They are suffering because of this mindless war. Father, may these tragic days bring people to faith in Christ. But most of all, we pray for our brothers and sisters who are there. We pray for their safety and provisions. Father, we pray that you'll help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And always be mindful that Christ's return is so close. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As that old saying says, I owed a debt I couldn't pay. Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe. Let's sing together. Jesus paid it all. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, child of me. Watch and pray, find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as Oh, he loves you and 
Our communion scripture today comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that any man may boast. Let us pray. Lord, as we eat this bread, remember that you are the giver of life. You are forgiveness. You bring deep peace to our souls, and your love flows within us. As we drink of this cup, we see your sacrifice poured out for us. We notice the depths of your goodness and the pain you suffered for us. We dwell upon the intricacies of human life and the price you paid to set humanity free. And just as the tombstone rolled away to unleash the risen Lord, your light shines in our hearts now, extinguishing all darkness to release heaven's blessing upon us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
usually sit at the end, but I told him to stay standing this time. <laughs> Let's sing a song together. What is it? Jesus at the center. Jesus at the center. And um, I picked this out for old, uh, for the rich young ruler we're going to hear about today in the sermon. The rich young ruler let something else get at the center of his life. Uh, consider this as you sing together. Jesus at the center. at the center of it all, Jesus at the center of it all, from beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always in you, Jesus, Jesus, nothing else matters, nothing in this world personal. Jesus be the center of my life. It's a prayer. Jesus be the center of my life. From beginning to the end, it will always be. It's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, nothing else scriptures from James verse 1 chapter 1 verse 17 every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows let us pray father God you are the giver of all good things and your word makes clear that every good and perfect gift comes from you We ask that you accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May these gifts bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. Just as you have multiplied the offering of fish and the loaves that were freely given for us, we pray that you will multiply these, our offerings, to you and accomplish with them more than we could ask or imagine. We give freely and not from compulsion, 
for th there is nothing we could give that matters your, matches your glory and majesty and the great gift of your Son, Jesus, and of the Holy Spirit, which guides us daily. All we have is yours, Father, and we ask that you would use us in all we have as you will. Amen. reading this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 to 31, and is my microphone not working too well today? Is that it? Let me, let me, let's use the pulpit here for a second and see if that helps a little bit, cut out some of that static, I don't know what it is. I did not take it into the baptistry, so I know that's not the problem, okay? Yes, uh, it's something else, we'll figure it out later. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, and I'll begin at verse number 17. Mark, chapter 10, beginning at verse 17. Oh, by the way, it's page 716 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along there. Page 716. Mark, chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. And honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. Well, there's one thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have. Give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then, come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad, because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Why, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed, and they said to each other, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And Peter said to him, Why, we've left everything to follow you. 
And I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will ever fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Let's pray. Father, as we come today in this very interesting passage of Scripture, I pray that our hearts will be open uh, in this very prosperous nation as we are, and to realize that maybe there's some things here that we need to grasp. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's generally true that life is easier for the wealthy. I mean, money opens doors. Um, It can open the door to an Ivy League education, and that can lead to other doors. It opens doors to premium health care. It can open the door to um, uh, luxurious travel accommodations. It can open doors to uh, very extravagant uh, vacations and things. And so it's been said that money is the uh, universal passport to a good life. It can open doors. But there's one door it will not open. And that's the door of heaven. You know, one day a young man, a very wealthy young man, comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' answer, believe me, is well worth looking at, looking very closely at. How do I, how do I receive eternal life? You know, we're going to continue our study in the life of Christ from the Gospel of Mark. And in today's passage, Jesus is going to engage uh, a young man, a very wealthy young man, in a conversation that is, to me, it's like no other. And it ends like no other conversation. And we're going to look at three things. Three things stand out about eternal life. We're going to look at the danger of wealth when it comes to eternal life. We're going to look at the power of God when it comes to eternal life. And then we're going to look at the example of children. So, let's take a look. First of all, let's look at the danger of wealth. You know, Mark tells us about this young man who comes running up to Jesus. He's virtually out of breath. And Mark tells us that he's young, he's he's rich, he's respectful, he's reverent, uh, he's very religious. In fact, he's very serious about his religion. And he's eager to ask Jesus the question that is just burning in his soul. And that question is, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Man, you can't get any more basic than that, can you? I mean, that should be the question that's on the heart and mind of every man, every woman, every boy and every girl. Because within every one of us is this sense that there is life past the grave. And I want to know, how can I have eternal life in heaven? Now, on the outside... I think this young man seems to have it together. He's rich, he's respectful, he's a reverend. I mean, he seems to have it together. But I think, on the inside, this young man is a very troubled young person. 
And he's coming to Jesus for some counseling. And I want you to notice what Jesus says to this man. He asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And look at Jesus' response. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus is not disagreeing with this guy about the fact that he is a good man, a good teacher. Jesus is the good teacher. He is the good shepherd. He's the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity. No question about that. What Jesus is doing, he's directing the young man's attention to really the, uh, the unarguable standard for what is good. And that's God and the Ten Commandments. And what Jesus is going to do in the next couple of verses, he's going to lead this young man down the path of how to be saved, how to have eternal life. And it really comes down to two things. Number one, you've got to be able to confess your sinfulness, and you've got to put your trust in Jesus. Simple as that. Notice how Jesus does this. Jesus is now going to walk, he's going to help this young man see his sinfulness. And he's going to do that. He's going to walk this young man through six of the Ten Commandments. Now, let me say something about the Ten Commandments before we look at them here in a second. Um, the Ten Commandments are, are on two tables of stone. On one were the, were the vertical commandments about God. On the second stone were the horizontal commandments about your neighbor, loving your neighbor, and how you relate to your neighbor and to one another. And so, take a look what Jesus says. First of all, he says, you know the commandments, and that's true. This young man could recite the Ten Commandments forwards and backwards. He knows them by the back, like the back of his hand. You know the commandments. And let's look at them. Here's what Jesus says. Do not murder. That's number six, the sixth commandment. The seventh commandment is, do not commit adultery. The eighth commandment is, do not steal. The ninth commandment is, do not give false testimony. And what is, what is the tenth commandment? Do not covet. That's not what Jesus says here, is it? He says, do not defraud. Now think of coveting as a, as a great big pie. It's a very broad subject. In fact, in the book of Exodus, where the Ten Commandments were originally uh, recorded, it says, do not covet your neighbor's house and property and possessions. And it's a great big pie. But there's a small slice out of this pie that would deal with something called defrauding. Where, and, and that's a financial term. Where you fleece people. You take advantage of them financially. You're ripping them off. Isn't it interesting that Jesus substitutes the Tenth Commandment, do not covet, for this one here? And I think Jesus is making a point with this young man. He is confronting him about a character flaw in his life. He, could it be that this young man has become wealthy because he has some rather unscrupulous business tactics? I think Jesus is confronting him. I guarantee you, everybody listening to Jesus would have noticed, hey, he substituted something here. Defrauding. And then, even more interesting, the fifth commandment is listed last. You would think it would have been listed up the top, uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. It's listed last. My opinion, I think 
the unscrupulous business tactics of this young man has brought great dishonor to his parents. And so Jesus, what Jesus is doing, I think in a, maybe in a very subtle way, but a very clear way, he is confronting this young man. You've got some sin that you need to deal with. And I want you to notice his reaction. Verse 20. The young man says, All these things I've kept since I was a boy. (laughs) In, In this young man's mind, he has nothing to confess. He says, I've been a good boy all my life. I got a little halo over my head. Can't you see it? Let me tell you something. Jesus doesn't buy it. All right? You, you don't you don't pull the wool over Jesus' eyes. And you know what? Jesus looks right into this young man's eyes. And you know what he says? You liar. No, he doesn't say that. Look what he said. Jesus looked at him and, and, and loved him. And I'm going to talk about that here in a minute. He loved him. But one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. You know the corrective action for defrauding people? Maybe you need to refund and return the things that you've taken. I mean, Jesus, I think, is calling on the young man to change his ways and go to and give back what he has taken. And that really, what we have here, is really the, the first step in conversion. Realizing I'm a sinner. I've got some things I need to confess. I need someone to help me find forgiveness. That's number one. Notice, now the other side of the coin to this thing is trusting Jesus. And we see that also when, when Jesus says to the young man, sell everything you've got or give it away, and then you come follow me. What he's calling on the young man to do is, I want you to trust me. He's asking the young man, I want you to think about life from now on, trusting me to provide. Provide your food, your clothing. I want you to give it all up and come follow me and and literally place your life into my hands. You know, I was I was thinking about all this, you know, trusting Jesus this week, and I don't know. You you may have noticed the uh, that gas prices are getting higher and food prices are getting higher. I don't do a lot of shopping, but I did do some last week. I went to the store and I bought a, a dozen eggs because of it was Easter and we were going to have eggs. And I bought a dozen eggs and it was almost $4 a dozen. I about fell over. Can you imagine? I could not believe how much food has gone up. Gas has gone up. And inflation, they say it's going to get worse. But I was thinking, you know, can we trust the Lord to provide for us even in these difficult times? I believe we can. And I think the Lord wants us to trust Him. We trust the Lord with our life here and now. And we're going to trust Him for all of eternity. Well, so the Lord is calling on this young man to confess your sin and put your trust in me and and following me. That's what the Lord's asking him to do. Well, this is a difficult message for this young man to swallow. I mean, it really puts a crimp in his lifestyle. And notice how he responds in verse 22. At this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad. The word there in Greek is grieved. I mean, he was grieved because he had great wealth. And so he parts 
ways with Jesus. Did you know that this young man is the only person who came to Jesus and left sad? The only one. Because this young, the way this young man looked at life was his status, his status was based on his wealth. His identity was based in his wealth. His self-esteem. In fact, as he looked at life, if he didn't have his wealth, the birds would never sing again. The sun would never shine. His whole life was wrapped up. The center of his life was wealth. By the way, contrast this young man to another man, a very wealthy man. His name was Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? He was that little man who climbed up in the tree because the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and said what? Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today, right? Listen to this. Here's what Zacchaeus says to Jesus. He says, Lord, here and now, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor, and for all those I have defrauded, I will pay back fourfold. Now that's a man who put Jesus at the center of his life. And that's the difference, isn't it? Between these two men. Two very wealthy men. One man says, I want Jesus to be the center of my life. And I will trust him and I will follow him. And the other says, I just can't do it. Well, Jesus now turns, after the young man leaves, Jesus turns to his disciples in verse 23. And he makes a comment to them. He says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, let me say something, by the way, about wealth. And let's be honest here. We are the wealthiest nation in the world. And everybody here is wealthier than probably 95% of the rest of the world. We're pretty wealthy. God has nothing against wealth. Some Some of the greatest saints who ever lived were very wealthy. I mean, Abraham was a very wealthy man. Uh, Solomon and Job and many others were considered the richest men in the world. They were the Elon Musk of their day. They were very wealthy. But Jesus is making a point. There is a, there's a danger in this wealth. And in verse number 25, Jesus makes that incredible statement. You just never forget things like this. He said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to look at that, but listen, I am, I am amazed at the disciples' response to that, by the way. I mean, you would think that the disciples would say, I'm glad I'm a poor fisherman. You know, something like that. But they don't. They respond, well, if the rich can't be saved, then who can? You have to understand the mindset back then. The mindset back then was, if you were wealthy, it is because God is blessing you. The richer you were, the the greater God's blessing was on you. And here's a young man who's very, very wealthy, and he turns away from the Lord, and Jesus says there's an example of how difficult it is for the wealthy to be saved. And the disciples are scratching their head, thinking, what a minute, wait a minute, I thought the wealthy were those blessed of God, and, it, and that's not true. So that's where they're coming from. And then, so Jesus makes the statement, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle 
than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. What, what is he, what is he he's saying? Now, you know, there are a lot of views on what this is. Some, some try to explain it away, which is interesting. Uh, and the most common explanation is, and I, I remember this growing up in church, hearing this explanation, that in ancient times, there were, there were large gates. Uh, cities were walled. And there were large gates. But also, on these large gates were small doors that, uh, you know, a person could walk through. So they didn't have to open up the big gates. They would open up the small gates to let people in. Uh, it's kind of, kind of like a doggy door. You know, Debbie and I, we have a doggy door, you know, that your dog can go in and out of. And, and so people could walk in and out of this smaller door. And some were saying that's what Jesus was talking about. That uh, if you had a camel, and uh, if it sucked in its breath real good, you know, and, and squeezed real tight, and you, you had somebody on the one end pulling it, and someone on the other end pushing it, you might be able to get it through that gate. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. I think he's just using hyperbole. He's simply making... And by the way, we use hyperbole all the time. You know, uh, this, that's an exaggerated statement. For example, sometimes we'll say, my feet are killing me. You know, they're not really killing me. Or, um, I could, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. Well, not, that's not literal. It's a figure of speech. And so Jesus is using some hyperbole to make the point that, you know what? It is pretty difficult for a rich person to be saved. Let me give you an example why I think this is true. Money. Think about money. It affords people opportunities, for example, um, for weekend recreation that um, poor people don't have. Money affords parents the opportunity to enroll their children in select leagues that have tournaments every weekend. Poor people don't have that. Money affords families opportunities to go on excursions that many poor people don't have. There are many distractions with money and wealth. Let me give you, I think, a, I think probably the best example of that. And, and this goes back a few years. This was uh, Time Magazine interviewed Bill Gates. We're all familiar with Bill Gates, all right? And again, this is about 20 years old, but I don't think Bill Gates has changed his views, okay? Listen to this. He was asked, what is your view on religion? What religion are you? Listen to this. Bill Gates says, just in terms of allegation of time, allocation of time and resources, religion is not very efficient. There are a lot, there's a lot more I could be doing on Sunday morning. Now I love, you know, in Time Magazine, they had that front page rebuttal, the page next edition. Uh, Gretchen Cole of Parksville, Missouri responded to that. She said, in reality, Nothing could be more efficient in return for a finite investment. There is literally an infinite return. In comparison, Gates' billions is small potatoes. And I think she... But the point is this. I think Bill Gates, said, Bill Gates says it best. A lot of people today in our country are wealthy enough to say, there's so many other things that I could be doing on Sunday or the weekends than be going to church. And, it's make, and you can see the effect. You know, Christianity is so unique from every other religion. When you look at every other religion, 
It is based where it was founded. Islam was founded in Saudi Arabia. They're in Mecca. It's still based there. It's never moved. Buddhism, Hinduism, Confucianism, all of those religions are all based where they were founded. But not Christianity. Do you realize that Christianity has been migrating for 2,000 years? It started in Jerusalem. It is no longer the, what we call the headquarters of Christianity. Christianity migrated to Antioch, which is Asia Minor. And then it migrated up into Rome and Europe. And then it migrated over to England. And then it migrated here to the United States. But have you noticed that conversions and church attendance has been dropping in this country? And that is because it is now migrating to um, other parts, Latin America primarily, where conversions and church attendance is growing exponentially. And here's why. As America and other nations have prospered, Christianity has dwindled. And that is because we people find more entanglements in this world and less time for the things of God. There is, there is just this intrinsic danger with wealth. You see, Christianity is it's about the cross. Christianity is about uh, the death of Christ and sin. It is about the grace of God. It, it is about, it's about giving, not gaining and attaining. It's about serving others. It's not about bossing others. It's about uh, being last and least, not about being first and foremost. And because of that, there's been a radical change within our Christian culture. Christianity today, here in our country, is being transformed into a socially acceptable religion for respectable people. And what happens then, eventually, it dies off and it migrates to another region of the world. That's the danger of wealth, and we are seeing it right here in our own country. But don't, don't despair. Let's look at the second thing we're going to look at. Second, the power of God. All right, number two. And uh, this point won't be nearly as long as the first one. But I want you to notice, uh, the disciples are asking the question, who can be saved? Who can be saved? And Jesus answers in verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. What is impossible? Salvation. And that, reco- and that doesn't matter how rich you are. Salvation is impossible with man. But it's not with God. You see, all things are possible with God. You realize that uh, salvation, our salvation, my salvation, yours, was only possible because of divine intervention. And that, really, that is the difference between Christianity and every other religion. Every other religion, you don't need divine intervention to become a Buddhist or a Hindu. You don't need divine intervention to become other religions. You just simply decide, I think I'll join up. But becoming a Christian requires God's intervention. You see, it is not natural for us to see ourselves as sinners. God has to make that known to us. It is not natural that you and I recognize that we're sinners and we need a Savior and Jesus is that Savior. That comes only as God opens our eyes and we begin to see that. That takes divine intervention. And that's what Jesus is saying here. 
Yeah, it's impossible for anybody to be saved. God has to reach down in our lives and intervene. And by the way, that's why we pray for one another. That's why we pray for our lost loved ones. We pray that God will intervene into their lives and into their hearts and open their eyes. And God does that. Many, many times we pray for them because we know that God is the one who can draw them in. One more thing. Let's look at the third thing. Third, let's look at the example of children. Now, this is a passage that really precedes the one we looked at. And it's in verses 13 to 16. Let me read these real quickly. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, little children, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. You see what he's saying? You realize a child has no possessions. A child has no entanglements in this world. And therefore, a child is far more likely to respond positively to the invitation of Christ. But adults are so tangled up in this world. There's so many, so many things that they need to do and get done. They just don't have time. And Jesus is saying, you had better be like a child. And rid yourself of all those entanglements if you're going to enter into heaven. And so we asked the question, you know, the young man asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The answer is we receive eternal life when we follow Christ in simple childlike faith. And that's what I want us to take home today. We receive eternal life when we follow Christ with a simple, just a childlike faith. That's all it is. Now, one more point I want to make. And that's in verse 21. When Jesus looks at this young man who's refusing to confess his sins, interestingly enough, it says in verse 21 that Jesus looked at him and loved him. That is fascinating to me because it is found nowhere else in the Bible. Nowhere else does it say that Jesus looked at someone and loved that person. Now, you say, well, Jesus loves everybody. Absolutely. But there's something going on there. There is a connection between Jesus and this young man. Think about this for a minute. Here is a young man who is rich and he's a ruler, very, a very wealthy young ruler, probably around 30, 35 years of age. Jesus, 30, 35 years of age. The richest ruler ever. You see the connection here? Here is Jesus, the richest ruler ever, And this young man, a very wealthy, rich ruler as well. And I think Jesus sees the connection here between them. And Jesus is asking this young man to do what he did. Give up all the riches of heaven, as Jesus did. Jesus gave up the wealth of heaven, all the rulership of heaven, to come to this earth and live in poverty. To be born in a stable, to to be raised in Nazareth as a carpenter. Jesus is, he is not asking this young man to do anything that he himself hasn't already done. Give it up and come follow me. Follow my example. 
you know, whatever, whatever is, whatever you're hanging on to, that you just, you just can't give up to follow Jesus. I want to encourage you, give it up, let it go. If you let it go and follow Jesus, you'll have eternal life and you'll have eternal treasure. Now I tell you, that is a deal you'll never beat anywhere else. Don't be like this young man. Be like Zacchaeus, who said, I will put Jesus at the center of my life and I'll follow him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our passage today, reminding us of how important it is that we admit and confess our sins and we trust you. We trust the work that you have done on the cross. Father, if there's anyone here today who's never come to faith in Christ, they've never realized their own sinfulness and that Christ is the one who can save them. I pray, Father, that you will divinely intervene and open their eyes that they might see that need and call upon you to save them. If you're here this morning and you've never come to faith in Christ, would you just take this minute, just talk to God. Talk to him. Tell him, I want to come to faith in Christ. Father, I pray that you'll do a work in hearts only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together three stanzas. I give all to you. introduce Richard Hansen. Richard, joining with us this morning. All right, great. Welcome, Richard. And, uh, you know, it's a good day when you have a young person wanting to join with you and be baptized. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. We're blessed. 
If you do have any questions about your spiritual life, feel free, would you, to just come forward. Uh, elders will be up front. I'll be up front as well. And Kyle, yes, we're going to have a, a season of prayer for you to, if you want to hang around for just a few minutes after the service, uh, we'd like to pray for Kyle and his safety as he leaves for the military. We want to do that. All right, let's have a closing prayer. Heavenly Father, we're blessed today. Boy, are we blessed. Beyond measure, you love us, you provide, you're right there every time we need you. And Father, I pray that as we leave here today, we'll leave knowing that uh, you're with us every step of the way. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he lift up his uh, countenance upon you and bring you peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. treasure that I see. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious tool. Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool. You are my all